0: Awesome. Uh, I think you know Emily. Yes. Do <laughs> <laughs> you know Henrietta and Elizabeth or Liz and Barbara and Eileen and Lori and Mary <laughs> Beth and Lori, two Loris. Oh
1: yeah, there's the other Lori. <laughs>
0: <laughs> welcome, Chris. Welcome here, Brent. Your background is
1: cool. Okay. Interesting,
0: as always. <laughs> yeah, Anya and Kevin. Welcome. So this is, a, a, you know, sort of a happy, sad occasion. I'm happy to uh, see all of you begin th- this type of study again. And also sad, because it's sort of means like summer is really sort of over, you know. And the, the, it's dark outside already. It's mm-hmm. boom, you know cold, what was it, in the 40s or something last night? Yeah. It was quite cold. So, and all the fall energy in school and kids. Oh, my God. Does anybody here have children in, in school? Going to school? Liz? Yes. Eileen? So, cool. God, that must be so stressful not to rub it in or make it worse. <laughs> <laughs> Just to commiserate with you. God. And then there's Beth who... With,
2: That's an exercise in letting go, Derek. Because there's nothing you can do.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> and the ben- the benefit of having them uh, out of the house is there's stressors and very a lot of positives too. <laughs> for speaking for myself.
0: Yeah. All summer long, if have families that have been cooped up together for like six months now, right? Must be so cool to have a little space. Oh my god. Sort of scary at first all that like silence. <laughs> <laughs> no.
1: Like no. <laughs> Not
0: at all. <laughs> right Look, I, I uh, my alter ego here is joining us tonight. Another new person joining us, Derek. Another Derek. Another
1: Derek.
0: Two Lori's and two Derrick's. Uh-huh. Derek Walter, welcome. Mm-hmm. Nice to meet you. Maybe we'll just go around quickly. Tell us, where, have you, where are you chiming in from tonight? How about Emily, who's our host? Thank you for, for doing that. Emily, where are you chiming in for tonight? We'll give people a few more minutes to join us.
1: I'm chiming in from Braintree, Massachusetts, just south of Boston, my new home.
0: Oh, Very cool. Nice. Good for you. Welcome. I'm, in, uh, I'm next on the screen. And uh, is that, does everybody find themselves on the top row second from left?
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I am here in uh, Sleepy Hollow. The headless horseman. I just had dinner with a headless horseman. <laughs> He's busy now. Uh, Henrietta, how about you? Good.
2: I'm in New York City, Manhattan, two blocks from our old meeting place.
0: <laughs> oh, she moved there specifically for that.
2: Didn't
0: <laughs> oh, Manhattan. Manhattan. Liz.
2: Um, I'm in Katona, New York, which is like an hour north on the train from New York City.
0: Nice, so idyllic. Barbara.
2: New York City, Manhattan. Oh. Upper west
0: side. Oh, right, Upper West Side, Eileen. Oh, you guys are not in order on your screen. I see. So it's a surprise.
2: Um, I'm in Northborough, Massachusetts.
0: Northborough, Massachusetts. Is that central?
2: It's yes. It's <laughs> in between Worcester and
1: Boston.
0: Cool. Thanks for joining us. Welcome, and Mitnukht. Are <laughs> you here? I'm,
1: oh, I'm in Arlington, Mass.
0: Ah, we got three Massachusetts yeah. people here today. Nice. Welcome again. Thanks. Lori.
1: Which
0: one? Oh, sorry, Lori Yago. Yango.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I am in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania.
0: All right. Mary Beth Keane.
1: I am in Goldensbridge, New York. Which is about 11 minutes north of Liz. Oh,
0: wow. How they define a the town defines itself in relation <laughs> to Liz. Hey, Abbott.
1: Abbott. Lori Abbott. Um, I'm in Ridgefield, Connecticut. And I may mute myself in a second because this new puppy is making a lot of noise, tearing up things.
0: <laughs> oh, my God. That's great. Okay. Uh, Chris Dillon. I'm in
2: Fort Plain, uh, about 45 minutes west of Albany on the Mohawk. And uh, I was just out, and the sun was hazed out by California. No. I could look look at the sun, yeah.
1: I saw that too, up here in Massachusetts.
2: On the East Coast? Yeah. That's what they said this morning, and I didn't believe it, but when I went out and I saw it, I was like, wow. But is that from the smoke? Is that smoke from the yeah, fire? Yeah, from the fire I saw that tonight too. That means the winds have reversed. Well, I'm pretty far up, so you know. Yeah, but they go You're blowing. coming across from the lake, so when yeah. the sun goes down, it's really the sun is like over Colorado as it's going down, so it's shining through all that oh. smoke in the atmosphere.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's insane. What a wacky, weird time, my God. At least that's the only problem we have. Brent. Brooklyn. All right, Brooklyn. That's where my parents are from. I've always had a soft spot for Brooklyn. Brooklyn, Uh, Anya.
1: Brooklyn.
0: Brian, right, another Brooklyn hey. contingent. Kevin, Kevin, you too? Brooklyn? Brooklyn too, Brooklyn too, yes. No wonder they're all in, the, in a row on my screen. That's good. <laughs> and then Derek, where are you from?
2: Chicago, Illinois, in Hyde Park.
0: <laughs> wow, cool. So how was the sunset for you? Did you notice the sun this evening?
2: Yeah, I noticed it yesterday, and it was, you could, like it was described, you could look at the sun, it was hazy, I and mean, it felt like, you know, like in Kathmandu or Delhi or something where it's, you know, typically like that. It was, it was pretty wild to see that here.
0: Wow. That's, that's incredible. Okay. Well, why don't we begin, uh, sitting for a little while. Everybody have their sitting practice. Um, Maybe uh, I'll just repeat the the technique briefly that Trungpa Rinpoche taught to us in case there's, I think there's some people who may be unfamiliar with that and you can obviously do whatever technique you like. So first just relax, connect with the sound of the gong to bring you into the present into your body and sink down into your seat. Just relax and, and uh, let go of everything else, if you can, that was going on beforehand. And then from there, Straighten up the posture, pull in slightly from the back, down low, pull in slightly from the front, and push the spine upward and extend upward as much as possible. Pushing the back of the head, back of the top of the head towards the ceiling, and push all the way up, extend all the way up, and then relax a little bit so it's not forced. And open out the awareness. Feel whatever's going on in your body. Are you tired? Are you tense? Are you agitated? And then expand outward from there. Feel the space around you, starting with the floor. Explore out towards the walls in all directions. Bring your eyes up slightly and feel the space in the room, see the walls, and then sense the space above you, the ceiling, and then connect with the space behind you, and in that way establish a 360-degree sphere of awareness around you. holding it, just let it be. And then find the breath, connect with the breath, ideally breathing deep down into the lower abdomen instead of chest breathing, guiding the air downward. Just feeling what it feels like to have the air come in and rejuvenate the body and then go out and that sense of release. Feel the breath going out from every part of your body, not necessarily just your nose, but feel as if you're breathing through your pores. Focus or emphasize the out-breath and that sense of letting go on the out-breath. And going out with the breath, explore the space in front of you, around you, and reconnect with that sphere of awareness. And on the in-breath, just let go of the breath as a focal object, and come back to the posture. So the breath goes out, our awareness goes out and expands out 360 degrees around us. And then gradually comes around and behind, and then back into our body. And there's the next out breath. Identify thoughts, separating thought from thinker. Touch on thought, the energy of thought, not the content. And label it thinking. And then, let go. And come back to the posture and the breath and the sphere of awareness. Good evening. Again. I'm back from Samadhi land, from the expanse of great space, which is the meaning of Longchenpa's name. of other people have joined us, Neil Stevenson, our attorney. It's always good to have your attorney present we're discussing delicate matters such as the nature of space and privileged welcome, Neil. where are you hailing from tonight? everybody's to said hello and where they're dialing in from where are you died
2: I'm in Seabright, in New Jersey.
0: Seabright, nice down on the shore. Good for you. Welcome. And then uh, uh, a gentleman who's new to us. His name Nick, and Nick is dialed in twice, presumably once by phone and once by computer. Nick, you want to say hi? Hello. Hi. <laughs> Welcome. Where are you? Where are you? Hi. <laughs> I'm in Boulder, Colorado. Oh, cool. neat. I lived there for 5 years. Beautiful place. How's the smoke? Uh, it's not bad today. Yeah. Oh, good. Good. Apparently, you guys sent it all our way. And, and people were complaining about the sunset wasn't quite up to par here in the east. Well, thankfully we had a good snow, so that that cooled everything off. that was really fortunate boom right when like things were reaching a crescendo oh my god hope that that snow and cool weather lasts boy so uh cynthia joined us she'll presumably be back cynthia spencer and so uh just to give our usual lead in the the scheme for these uh, exploratory, exploratory courses in the Rimei Shedra, is uh, to study the classics that revolve around the five topics of the, the Shadra curriculum. Shedra is the Tibetan word for uh, university, and in Tibet they were monastic universities since everything focused around the monastery. And They focused on uh, all the all the different s- schools had the same five topics, the same five texts, the same five topics at the core of their uh, learning curriculum, and, and at the core of each topic was this, was f- uh, one text, and they each had the same text, which was pretty amazing. And the topics are the Abhidharma and the valid cognition, and the middle way, Madhyamaka, and the path, and then because they were in the monastery, the fifth topic was uh, the rules of monastic discipline, the Vinaya, and uh, we've substituted for that topic, since none of us are monastical, we've substituted the meditation. Uh, monastery system meditation was sort of a given that pervaded everything. And, uh, but we've made it the fifth topic. So those are the topics that the, the Rime Shadra focuses on. And we studied the classical texts for those topics, the core texts where they're available in English, and then the subsidiary texts uh, around those topics. And uh, based on our survey results that most of you participated in, I thank you for that this summer. The plan for this year is to do this text this fall, and I'll come back to that. And then in the winter to do a course on meditation, uh, focused primarily on Vipassana. And then in the the springtime to do a course on uh, uh, Abhidharma and valid cognition which are the two foundations for understanding the deeper sense of the middle way. If we should all live so long, to still be here at that point would be amazing. And so this text, coming back to this text in this fall, is a a text primarily on uh, the view, what's called the view in Buddhism. and uh, while the, the the view may be obscured by the smoke from the fires out west, uh, it doesn't necessarily have to obscure our view of the true nature of reality, which is what is meant by the term the view in the Buddhist tradition is understanding the true nature of reality. And uh, unlike in some traditions where they rely upon... Uh, various methods of directly introducing students to the direct uh, to the true nature of reality. Um, uh, including some of the Buddhist traditions and the tradition inherited from India into Tibet, they favored the what was called the more gradual approach, which included uh, the combined, direct approach of uh, the Vajrayana, system of direct introduction to the nature of reality, as well as the Sutrayana approach of the gradual um, exploration or entering into an understanding of the true nature of reality by studying various um, aspects of the teachings around the topic, for starters, and then Studying the uh, progression that human beings tend to go through in their understanding or approach to the understanding of the true nature of reality, and uh, that becomes over time codified into the uh, sort of uh, a bit of a formulaistic structure in texts that focus on this subject of presenting the views of the different Buddhist schools. And it, it, it cannot be stressed enough that that these are to be understood not as uh, the, the important uh, point that's being made when studying the views of these different schools is not to point out um, the views held by certain individuals or certain schools of individuals at certain times and and their limitations but the point of studying the the different stages of the view is to understand that we all go through these stages naturally and and uh, uh necessarily in our own progression towards understanding the true nature of reality and so as we go through them we'll we'll talk a little bit more about what that means, but we basically progress from a, a framework of a re- realism um, where we believe that appearances are real as we see them uh, to a, a phase of understanding that appearances are produced by the uh, physical, psychophysical structure of our organism that we call ourselves that phenomena do not actually exist in the way that we perceive them, uh, but exist in uh, some sort of atomic manner. And uh, when we pursue that further, uh, we begin to experience the fact that that atomic structure of reality doesn't actually make sense completely. And we enter a, a phase of uh, of um, sort of groundless phase where the the world and uh, the world still appears to us in a certain way, and we still have habitual tendencies to experience it in that way and to grasp at it. But there's a certain dreamlike quality to the experience of like, well, if everything is made up of little atoms and energies flying around why do i perceive things the way i do and why do i have all these fixations and habitual tendencies and then if if even those uh, atomic energies don't have any real basis either but are completely relative to each other then what is going on here and there's a sort of a phase of uh, um, experiencing a sense that the world is a projection of our mind or of some sort of mind. And then gradually realizing that that way of explaining or understanding or viewing things is uh, another, yet another conceptual framework that our conceptual mind is... Laying over our experience in its effort to understand our experience, and so then we look at the actual conceptual projector itself and realize that the conceptual projector can be undone at its source, and once we understand that once we have some glimpse of of the pro- the source of the projection and the the transformability of that source then we enter to uh the area of practice and study where we uh, have the freedom to we 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 have confidence in uh, the freedom of human beings to experience the world in a different way, completely different way, and work with the energies of being a human being and the phenomenal world in a completely different way without the habitual structure that we've grown up with, Uh, but we can experience a completely different possibility. So... uh, uh, Longchenpa's text that we have in front of us, The Precious Treasury of Philosophical Systems, is uh, one of the most uh, profound and also vast presentations of this uh, literary genre of uh, presenting the stages of the view in the Buddhist tradition. And We've talked about Longchenpa in the last class and what an amazing guy he was. And so I I won't go into that uh, in any detail this evening. If you're interested and you are not here, you can listen to the first talk of uh, the the last class on the website. Um, But uh, to contextualize it, um, Longchenpa lives in the 1300s, and uh, Buddhism as we know, started with the Buddha about somewhere about four to five hundred years before what we call the Common Era. So uh, Longchenpa lives some eighteen hundred years after the start of Buddhism. And during that time, Buddhism develops in India through the cycles of uh, um, What are called the common teachings focused on the Four Noble Truths and discipline, monastic discipline, karma and rebirth and the possibility of uh, cutting the cycle of rebirths. And uh, early in the common era, we see the flowering of what what becomes called the greater vehicle, the Mahayana tradition. Which expands uh, ideas about enlightenment and the path, and those who travel out the paths to enlightenment in basically all ways. Enlight- the idea of enlightenment expands exponentially. Uh, limitations geared towards practitioners and lifestyles fall away. And uh, we we enter in the literature that we find in that period, in the Mahayana period, we find a presentation of the universe and the Buddha that's completely cosmic compared to the relatively down-to-earth, sort of almost mundane presentation that we find in the earlier, uh, so-called earlier teachings of the Buddha. And uh, Buddhism enters a very... uh, uh, established phase in India, beginning in like about the 4th century, where uh, large establishments of monks uh, live together and develop uh, sophisticated systems for study and practice. And there emerges on the one hand a, a university, scholastic university system. A lot of uh, very profound texts are written commenting on the view of reality and the path, and at the same time, we we see the beginning and uh, quickly flowering of the Vajrayana traditions, traditions focused on direct introduction to the nature of reality, and these two traditions go through various various, uh, go go through centuries of working out alternately different ways of relating to each other, sometimes complementary, sometimes contradictory. In Tibet, these become primarily complementary traditions. Entering Buddhism, entering Tibet in the 8th century with Padmasambhava, brought in by a gentleman named Shantarakshita, who uh, writes one of the... uh, Largest and most uh, comprehensive texts of this genre of um, compiling the different views of the different schools, both of the non Buddhist traditions of religion in India or philosophy rather in India, um, living as he does at the sort of culmination of 1200 years after the Buddha in the. uh, seven to eight hundreds and uh, uh and then going through in great detail the different views of the buddhist schools and uh sort of gives that as a, a gift to the the early tibetan tradition the early tibetan practitioners and uh his he creates a unique synthesis of different Views of the Mahayana tradition that are held to be paramount, the views of the emptiness tradition of the Madhyamaka, and the views of the mind-only tradition of the Matra. leaves those two together, and uh, um, Longchenpa, living in the thirteenth century, basically picks up that same thread. Uh, we'll see. He presents a, a progressive hierarchy of views that very much uh, is echoes what Shantarakshita created or, or laid out, and what uh, remains constant for the Nyingma tradition up until the present day, as we see most uh, um, clearly and uh, brilliantly. Uh, Explained by Mipham, who lives in the 19th century or the 18th, 1800s. And uh, so there's this great continuity in the Nyingma tradition of uh, presenting this interesting uh, way of weaving together the Chitamatra and the Madhyamaka, while other schools, basically other different traditions of Buddhism, Uh, have all these different uh, trends of of favoring one or the other. Uh, The enigma remains fairly, pretty constant in this way, sort of interesting. Uh, long text is not just uh, a presentation of the different uh, views of the nature of reality, but also presents the different uh, paths that one can travel towards understanding the nature of reality using the traditional scheme for that and uh, i'm trying not tonight not to spew out lots of different terms and stuff and we'll get it go into those details as we encounter them but uh um, and uh he, he also spends a great deal of time on vajrayana paths which is unusual uh in and other Tibetan traditions. They view the uh, progression of the understanding of the nature of reality to culminate in the Madhyamaka system of the Mahayana Sutra tradition. They, don't, they really don't present any uh, further evolution of the view. Beyond that, and the enigmas are unique in, in presenting a further evolution of the view into the Vajrayana, the different stages or uh, aspects, branches of the Vajrayana tradition. So we see that laid out here in uh, sort of mind-blowing uh, clarity and depth. And uh, this fall, we'll go through a little bit of that. We'll, we'll make it just through a little bit of that and uh, hopefully at some point in the future we'll come back and finish up the remainder of the, the Vajrayana presentation that's in this text but obviously you're encouraged to check it out on your own and uh, there's this, the chapter on uh, ATI yoga ATI being the, the Sanskrit term that's normally affiliated with the Tibetan term Zokchen. that's quite famous great perfection. Uh, that chapter is uh, quite mind blowing and, and uh it's also uh interestingly um mirrored quite closely by Boucher's presentation of the higher Janas in uh, his his recently uh published book from the grave of, uh, called the profound treasure of the ocean of dharma volume three indestructible wakefulness, where he presents the, in the second half of the book, he presents the different stages of the vajrayana, uh, tradition. And, uh, if you revisit, if you end up on your own reading the, the, the later third, last third of this book, Please do uh, check out Rinpoche's presentation of those, the, the last third of his presentation of the the Vajra, and you'll find some unique similarities. So, this was one of two textbooks that Rinpoche used in presenting his teachings, Chung Rinpoche used in presenting his seminary teachings. Uh, the other being uh, Kong Rinpoche, The Great's Treasury of Knowledge. Um so uh the uh, uh, style here is uh sort of traditional and going through these texts it's uh sort of monotone, very boring, very hypnotic, and soporific, which is why I rely heavily upon you guys to chime in with something that will wake us all up because otherwise even I will fall asleep. <laughs> But uh, generally, I like to read through the text with you and comment on it as we go. And, uh, 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 you know, Long Shenpa is uh, incredibly profound author. And uh, it would be sort of, I mean, it's already foolish of me to even pretend to teach a course on his text, but to actually sort of Give talks on what he's presenting would be even more foolhardy. So I will uh, try to do a sort of a close reading and uh, provide some comments as we go. So tonight we start with the uh, the uh, the stuff that becomes that comes before the main part of the the book. I don't know what do you call that the the uh, what did I call it.
1: Introduction, perhaps.
0: The introductory sections, the forward, the introduction, the translator's preface, and the introduction. <laughs> let's look <laughs> look at those. Starting on page uh, seven, we have a um, a little forward by uh, His Eminence Chochochok Rinpoche, great Tibetan teacher, came to the United States back in the, I think the seventies, if not the early eighties, Nyingma Nyingma teacher and uh also like trump berbachet uh, uh really worked very hard to uh, connect with Western students and uh, bring them along. He was very much more traditional in his approach than trump berbachet was, but um he sponsored he came up with this idea of sponsoring uh, the translation of Longchenpa's seven Treasures, which are one of the greatest treasures of the entire uh, Tibetan Buddhist tradition, as well as the Buddhist tradition, is uh, Longchenpa writes these amazing uh, uh, set of texts that uh, um, pretty much have uh, their own class of themselves, in terms of how the literature is classified. And we'll see early on in this book that the, the, the ways, different ways literature is classified in the, in this Buddhist tradition. But uh, in the Nyingma tradition in particular, you have um, discovered texts, texts, terma, that are hidden by Padmasambhava and then rediscovered by other teachers much later on. And then you have original. Uh, Texts by the great old masters that somehow survive, and then you have um, sort of down-to-earth commentaries on either of those by current masters. And Longchenpa's works are considered to be what's called pure vision, that are that are neither like uh, concealed texts from Padmasambhava nor just mere mortal commentaries, but they're just like your experience of the ultimate truth that he then uh, is able to put into words that are not only clear, but also very beautiful. So it's rather miraculous uh, uh, accomplishment. And uh, those, those texts are primarily, those seven texts are primarily Vajrayana and Dzogchen. Uh uh, texts that present either the view of Dzogchen in, in great detail and profundity or present the practical details of the different practices of Vajrayana of Dzogchen. And uh, so the, the, many of, most of those seven texts are very difficult to penetrate uh, until you're actually at the stage of doing or uh, understanding Dzogchen. And, uh, this one of the treasures, among the treasures, stands out as one that spans both Sutrayana and Vajrayana and is, uh, the most accessible, accessible in that way to mere mortals like myself and, and probably the rest of us. And, uh, Uh, So fortunately, this gentleman had them translated, had uh, a a translator named uh, Richard Barron, who goes often by his Tibetan Lama name of Chukinima. uh, He's he's quite an amazing translator and uh, worked closely with the Tibetan teachers, which is a key mark of a successful translator. And uh, he made it through four of the seven and then he stopped. <laughs> he, was, he got ill and he got derailed. And now he's actually a little better, but he's doing something else, which is very, very sad. Uh, but anyway, we got four of them from him. And then uh, I, if, I'm not sure if people know uh, Lama Chonam and Sanjay Kondro. They've done a fifth of the seven. So we almost have all seven. But anyway, we have this one, which is amazing. And that's what we have with us to, to see for this fall. And so uh, Chaktu Toku uh, writes of his view or vision and inspiration and having these texts translated and uh, gives a little overview of them, which I'm going to skip and go into. There's a more detailed overview um, later on. And uh, we have like three different introductions that each present a little overview of the texts. And while repetition is very helpful, I thought I would go through two of them instead of all three. And so uh, I'm gonna skip to page, uh, Roman numeral XV. You, do you say 15? If you say 15, then it's the number 15, right? So you have to say page XV. Anyway. It's called The Translator's Preface. And this is written by uh, one of the greatest uh, Tibetan tulkus around, uh, named Tulku Tundra. Is that right? He doesn't sign it. Yes, that's how it's identified in the table of contents. Anyway.
1: I thought the translator was...
0: Yeah, but this... Oh, this is the translator's preface, you're right. So where's uh, uh, nine, I'm sorry. So yeah, nine, Uh, uh, I, X, let's start with that one. Okay. First, he has this wonderful quote from a famous uh, well-known teacher, Pacho Rinpoche, well-known for uh, uh, huge uh, oil, Gas magnate, you know the greatest in Tibet, Petrol Rimshe. All the teachings of Buddhism are contained in just one treatise, the philo- the precious treasury of philosophical systems. And that was, by the way, a joke that Trung Rimshe told. Who's the, the oil magnate in, in Tibet, the Petrol Rimshe? And then he said, Who's the Lama that's famous for having bad vision? And the answer was C two Rimshe. That's the that's the level of humor, by the way, that Trump or reveled in. Uh, the precious treasury of philosophical systems, a treatise as sublime as this has never appeared before in either India or Tibet, and it will never appear again. This I can assure you. So, as I tried to express in the in the write up for this course, this text is sort of the, this amazing, like apex of like uh, condensing and summarizing and presenting the essence of uh, 600 years of Tibetan Buddhism that went before him, before Longchenpa. And then really everything later, for the next 600 years, sort of revolves around the way that uh, he presented the Dharma in this text, at least within the Nyingma tradition. So the Precious Treasury of Philosophical Systems is one of the Seven Treasures of Longchenba. We have his dates there. It's amazing how short he lived, right? What is that? uh, 55 years, if I have my math. 55 years. And he wrote, you know, the seven treasures is just a fraction of his writings. It's unbelievable, these guys. Among these volumes, meaning the seven volumes, the precious treasury, philosophical systems, and the wish fulfillment have long been studied in the sanctuaries great monasteries. None of the is part of the uh, curriculum essential for mastering both scholastic subjects as well as attaining meditative realization. So, um, many, many. Uh, Presentations of this genre are very much focused on scholastic, uh, the sort of scholarly understanding that uh, is the foundation for the view of understanding reality. But uh, Longchenpa very skillfully weaves in uh, a meditative angle all the time. The main focus, skipping to the next paragraph, and essence of all of these is Dzogpachinpo the Pinnacle of Buddhist teachings. However, this one also elucidates in detail the views of the Hinayana, Mahayana, i.e. the Sutra, and the uh the general Vajrayana teachings. So interestingly, when you have a, a Dzogchen person as we do here, they view there to be a difference between Vajrayana and Dzogchen, just in case you are wondering about the way he says that. So there's Vajrayana and then there's Dzogchen. So in addition to presenting Dzogchen, this book also presents Vajrayana and Hinayana A little background on uh, Buddhism. Mm -hmm. So just an overview of the book on page 10. The main thesis begins with the tenets of the exoteric or outer or common Buddhism, <clears throat> what's called the Shravaka and Pratika Buddha schools of Buddhism. By Those are uh, terms used by the Mahayana tradition to describe uh, the, uh, the traditions that we now find in Theravadan countries, or countries, Southeast Asian countries, where we erroneously call them Theravada and Buddhism, and, and the Mahayanas uh, call them Shravaka and Pratyeka Buddhas. and uh, the schools of Chittamatra, Maidoli, Swatantra Madhyamaka, and Prasangika. and he goes into the uh, esoteric Tantra Vajrayana, and goes through the four classes of tantras. As presented in the new tantric tradition or sarma. Sarma is the Tibetan word for new and is the word that's used to describe the Buddhist schools that newly arrived in Tibet after the persecution. So Tibetan Buddhism is divided into two periods. It arrives early, first in uh, the eighth century with Shantarakshita and Padmasambhava and Vimalamitra and Virochana, and Yeshe Tsogyal and Mandarava. And uh, their presentation of Buddhism lasts a couple of hundred years until there's a king who uh, decides that Buddhism is evil wants to revert to the prior uh, indigenous Bun tradition and uh, almost completely wipes out the Buddhist tradition. And uh, he's assassinated by a Tibetan Lama and uh, Buddhism manages to come back gradually. And uh, so that period of Buddhism coming back is called the new tradition. And the period before that is called the old tradition of the Nigmas. So the Nigmas are the old school. Nigma means actually the old school. And uh, so all the other schools after that are the Sarma tradition. And they're traditionally called, uh, the schools that are being referred to by Sarma are the uh, uh, tradition of Atisha, called the Kadampa, the tradition of Marpa Lotsawa called the Kagyu, and the tradition of Drokmi Lotsawa or the Sakya. And there's a blue hand raised by Liz, please. Derek, um, you
2: know, in all this, I don't see Mahamudra in here.
0: Where does that fit in? Mahamudra is in the four uh, classes of Tantra. And he doesn't mention Mahamudra at all, does he? Check the uh, index. See if he mentions Ma- if, if Mahamudra is in the index. Let us know. We'll, we'll come interrupt us again. Uh, so these new tantras. So what the Galupa is, is that the Galupa inherits uh, one strand of the Kadampa tradition. Then he goes into the views of the the uh, what's called the inner tantras of the Nyingma tradition. So you have these two ways of presenting tantra. One is the four classes of tantras of the Sarma school, and then the other is the uh, nine yana system of the Nyingma tradition. He goes through both of those. Mm-hmm. you find any entries on Mahamudra? One. Mm hmm. <laughs> One. <laughs>
2: yeah. And uh,
0: 455
2: N-I-I.
0: Note 11 or something, right? Wow. Not much mention of Mahamudra.
1: Oh, Uh, uh, okay.
0: That's very interesting.
1: A chunky
2: entry there, but that's it.
0: So we'll, we'll encounter that later. Why, why does he not talk about uh, Mahamudra? Um, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna skip to uh, page uh, 11 of, the, of this introduction. So X, I, and Lori, jump right in.
1: Just a question. So what happened to Kadampa?
0: the kadampa as a separate tradition died out and it it merged into the kagyü tradition and the gelugpa tradition in particular and then in some some way it also was inherited by the sakya and to a lesser extent the Nyingma. they all they all inherited the lojung system of the the uh, seven points of lojung and the slogans but okay. uh, uh, the way the Kagyu's presented is that there were two main strands, strands of Kadampa a practitioner-oriented strand that they inherited in the Kagyu, and a scholarly strand that was inherited and became the uh, Gelugpa.
1: Okay, okay, thank you. I, there was um, when I lived in D.C. There was a Kadampa nun. I never asked, I actually saw her teach, but. It was it was so interesting because I didn't don't ever hear of anybody else doing that. So anyway,
0: oh, I, I hesitate much about other current schools, but there's yeah. a school called the New Kadampa Tradition, which uh, is a way of talking about the Gelukpa, sort of like a revival of the. It, it's it's meant that term is meant as a revival of the original spirit of the galupa which was the kadampa and uh, that that's that school or that uh, organization and in particular its leader are very um, controversial highly okay. controversial. and if you are bored and like want to like find some some uh Scandalous Tibetan Buddhist stuff. You look up the New Kadampa Tradition and the Dalai Lama, and you'll have a, an astonishing moment.
1: Not the Dalai Lama. Oh no, not the. Dalai. Please no. <laughs> Sorry, it's just, it's da, Derek. But the the little that group that's here in Brooklyn, for example, that ha, I I know I visited their center once. That's not New Kadampa, right? That's actually the. Um, a vestige of the old Kadampa, right?
0: I, I don't know. I'm not sure what group you're talking about.
1: Oh, I thought you knew about this one too. The, there's a little. There was a little center in in Brooklyn. I think. I don't know if it's still there or not.
2: The uh, I think they're on Atlantic Avenue. Yes.
1: Oh yeah. At that time, it, before it was Gold Street, but I don't know where they are now. That would be. Yeah, it would be more. I think Janankpa. But isn't that sort of old Kadampa?
0: No, totally like completely different universe no they call
2: themselves a the new kadampa i believe oh it's a different
0: the, the jonangpas are so far different from the new kadampas you would be amazed just briefly the, the jonangpas are the school that the galupa's annihilated when they were and, and that type of galuppa is what the new kadampa
1: no, th- that's what I was saying. Isn't this, isn't that, that Genang, isn't that little center the, yeah, I was saying the opposite. It's the older Kadampa, not the new.
0: No? Oh, it has nothing to do with the Kadampa. No. Oh,
1: okay. Okay. No.
0: Hmm. Anyway, on uh, page uh, XI the first full paragraph readers may wonder why the hell do I need to study all these different tenants that focus on the accumulation of merit? I'm interested only in wisdom, emptiness and Dzogchen. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so for one, you might wonder well, why do they say these tenants focus on wh- what is a tenant? And, and why do you say they focus on uh, merit accumulation of merit? And, uh, Got a picture of Longchenpa, by the way. (laughs) Uh, To help me. Uh, So the tenets are like the the views of the different traditions. And uh, the traditional way of studying the progression of the view is to break them into little, into uh, sort of very precise tenets. And... um, partly because studying uh, is, is a meritorious activity, accumulates merit, and partly because a lot of the tenets are about the path of accumulation of merit, which is how the Sutrayana tradition, um, to some extent, is characterized. And so the, thus the, uh, the, the introducer here poses this question. Why why study those? And the reason is that although both merit and wisdom are indispensable for reaching and uh, realizing the ultimate wisdom of Dzogchen, we must start where we are. If we still perceive mental objects with tight grasping, are still inflamed by negative emotions, then we're largely ordinary people, perpetuating the never-ending cycle of suffering. That is the wheel of life. And so we need uh, merit to first tame our afflicted mental states and emotions. So we may then concentrate on realizing the wisdom that destroys these at the root. This is a very important uh, sort of viewpoint of the the, uh, practice oriented schools of Tibetan Buddhism is that um, in in order for uh, wisdom to take root, we need to uh, cultivate and tame our beings. We need to cultivate virtue and tame our beings. And part of that is, is is by understanding actually the progression of the different views and the different paths of those earlier traditions. And if you jump right to Zopachenpo, you will have little benefit from that. And so they stress over and over again that the more detailed and precise you are, in studying the foundations and the basics of the the tradition, the more benefit you will have from the more profound aspects or or, uh, stages of the tradition. uh, Let's let's drop down, uh, let's see accumulation of merit in the next paragraph involves positive concepts such as virtuous thoughts, feelings and deeds, and to complete this accumulation, we must follow the laws of karma, observe precepts, serve all beings with compassion. He says, observe the three precepts. That would be the precepts of the uh, the refuge vow, the Hinayana, and of the Bodhisattva, the Mahayana, and of the Vajrayana, the Samaya vows. Accumulation of wisdom is the realization of freedom from concepts, which is an interesting way of characterizing wisdom. In the West, wisdom is like the accumulation of great understanding, of conceptual understanding. And here it's freedom from concepts, the opposite, as well as the realization of emptiness and effortlessness. Buddhahood will be attained only through these two accumulations. Uh, So skipping ahead, Um, On the next page, he talks about how we must unite the two accumulations, observe the laws of cause and effect, the state of emptiness, observe these precepts. So pretty much uh, uh, Longchenpa stating what the, the author just had spoken. And the result then is the two Buddha bodies, the Dharmakaya, the ultimate and the Rupakaya. Anyway, uh, let's skip to the Translator's Preface on 15, where he briefly goes through the contents of the book, the book, which would be uh, helpful. second paragraph, the the structure is traditional. He begins in Chapter 1 with a discussion of the Buddha, coming to the Buddha into this world, interpreting this phenomenon according to various levels. Of Buddhist teachings, I find this to be one of the more interesting parts of the of the book. Is that he gives this this amazing presentation of who the Buddha was, according to different points of view, uh, because the, the presentation of the Buddha differs dramatically throughout the different traditions of Buddhism. And, uh, you you see this. Uh, uh, sort of secondhand, let's say, so to speak, when you read the literature that develops in the different periods of Buddhism. If you read the, the earliest texts of, uh, like the Pali Canon versus the Mahayana Sutras versus the Tantras, you see this very different, uh, portrayal of the Buddha. Uh, but, uh, um, it, it's really, it's really sort of stunning as well as helpful to have somebody explain that there are these different views and, it, and how do they differ? How does the view of the Buddha change from uh, yana to yana, basically, from, uh, different schools of Buddhism. And he does the same also with the teachings of the Buddha. So let's see, use the term Buddha to refer not only to the historical Buddha to the sort of cosmic Buddha who's the totality of what are called the three kayas, the three aspects of Buddhahood. Chapter two examines the origin and development of the Buddhist teachings, discussion of the roles of teacher and student. And here again we see a a presentation of different views on how the teachings were collected and propagated. A little, little insight into this um, huge, uh, quandary or enigma in the Buddhist tradition of: uh, Did the Buddha really teach the Mahayana and Vajrayana teachings? And why did they appear so much later than the other teachings? And how come the the earlier teachings don't mention them? You know, I mean, it's pretty hard to keep a secret, and you know, to have kept to to say that they all knew about these inner teachings but kept them a secret for. 500 years it's a pretty pretty tall order chapter 3 is perhaps the most challenging or fun part of the book in which he introduces the tenets of the traditional systems of philosophy both Buddhist and non-Buddhist interestingly the Tibetan understanding of the latter the non-Buddhist systems was based on Tibetan translations of Indian Buddhist commentaries so he's inheriting this uh, way of presenting the non-Buddhist schools from the Indian masters and just and, uh, uh, not really adding a lot to them, but it's, it's, it's a, a presentation that's been handed down from uh, Indian masters who wrote similar texts presenting the different traditions, starting with Bhagavad in about the 4th century, presents the first one. In his blaze of reason, he goes through the, the different Buddhist, uh, non-Buddhist schools of India at the time, and and refutes them. And in doing so, he he's uh, uh, he presents them in a in a certain slant, in a certain way, where he accentuates their fault so that he can refute them. And we see that perpetuated throughout the Buddhist tradition. And so we have to divorce the. Uh, that presentation from being uh, an an argument against those traditional schools to being an argument against the way that we might think ourselves, that we might uh, have a theistic view, we might have an animistic view, we might have a materialistic view of the world, we might have a uh, completely anarchistic view of the world, whatever it is. that, that's really what's being talked about when they repeat these views of the other schools, non-Buddhist schools. Henrietta.
2: When did um, the great debates come about between um, the, the whole debating?
0: Uh, like in about the, the fourth century in India where uh, both uh, Buddhist and non-Buddhist schools got to the point of uh, very uh, sort of structured way of presenting their views and uh, established a large number of followers enough so that they they uh, were able to engage in a sort of structured uh, debate with each other. And the uh, fascinating thing is that they didn't have, they didn't have uh, spectator sports and TV at that time. <laughs> So you know now, the majority of the population spends their free time watching sports, but back then they didn 't have much entertainment, and so they were actually entertained by debates, <laughs> which actually you know goes like uh, it, in some ex- some extent to the nineteenth century where people would go and listen to to speeches you know like Abraham Lincoln giving speeches. Mm-hmm and amazing speeches. And people would go and listen to these complicated speeches and actually follow them, um, where, whereas these days, you know, people can barely think beyond uh Who anyway. eats?
2: <laughs> yeah, it also, interestingly, coincides with uh, television. <laughs> right, no, no that, the no, the height of the uh, Greek philosophers and uh, the the Western philosophical systems.
0: Yeah, yeah. The d-
2: debate. Yeah, the, exactly. the debates. Yeah, I mean, it was seems very they were very highly evolved. The sy- the system of debate was Definitely. amazing.
0: Yeah, they developed a formalistic structure of how to. How to speak to one another. It was pretty cool, and and then they have these stories of like they would like kill the losers and things like that, which I tend to think were exaggerated, but you never know.
2: Buddhists would kill the
0: the king. Would what what the deal was like? If you lost, you had to convert, and if you didn't convert, you were history. You had to leave, or I don't know.
2: Like playing for pinks, but you know, with your soul, I guess.
0: It's like the Mayans, you know, had them play basketball, had their slaves play basketball. But anyway, that's not a good comparison because these were not prisoners. It was fascinating that this whole uh, experience of debate, debate happened, which uh, um, I think it's important to understand that it was much more oriented towards developing one's own clarity about understanding one's fixations than anything else. It was not about defeating anybody else or showing off one's understanding, but uh, it it really had to be about um, uprooting one's own fixations. Let's see. So, um, uh, let's see. Chapter four he continues with going through the different stages and uh, and then from there on he goes through uh, um, he goes through the different paths in chapter five and i on page Roman numeral sixteen. Goes through the different paths of Shravaka, Prateka Buddha and Bodhisattva, and then starts foraging foraging into uh, the mantra vehicles, the Vajrayana vehicles. And let's skip to, uh, we also had Longchenva's introduction himself, which is the most important part, so let's read through that, and that's on page three of the text for tonight, the introduction. So in the language of India, which was thought to be Sanskrit, obviously there were many other languages, Anyway, the title of this treatise would be translated as Yana Sakala Archa Deepa Sadyanta Randa Kosha Nama. In Tibet it's Tikpa Dun Selwar Jepa Drupata Rinpoche Zuh Shejawa. Treatise elucidating the meaning of the entire range of spiritual approaches, everything. A book that, that explains everything. It's like Stephen Hawking, right? The, the, uh, anyway, I pay homage to youthful Manjushri, wisdom, embodiment of wisdom, always useful. Wisdom is always useful, has that energy of uh, of things are are new and fresh, not old and stale. really is not a commentary on people's age, so don't feel bad that way. The sublime accomplished Buddha is praised by seers, honored by Brahma and, and the Hindu gods, extolled by gods, demigods, Kinnaras. Kinnaras, I think, are uh, beings that have wings, like sort of a combination of man, and wing, winged beasts, or something like and the excellent Naga rulers, the snake kings. The omniscient one foremost among beings is the sublime, wish-fulfilling gem who ensures that all our goals are accomplished, so that my hopes may be completely realized I honor him by bowing my head with deepest faith to bring about about benefit in the world, countless victorious ones and their heirs, Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, and turn the wheel of the sacred Dharma according to the makeup and interests of beings. For these times I will briefly elucidate what I have learned from my gurus. Of the extensive variety of spiritual paths renowned in this world. And he studied with a number of gurus, most notably uh, Sakya Lama and uh, Kagyu teacher, one of the Karmapas, Rongjong Dorje, and in particular Zopa Chenpo Lama called Kumaradza. For fortunate and motivated people whose brilliant intellects can discern what is valid, i.e. all of you, and who are naturally wise in following scriptures, reasoning, and profound pith instructions, and, and I will describe here the methods of diverse spiritual approaches, likewise, uh, sorry, listen respectfully in order to drink the rain of nectar that falls from the clouds of my learning and so progress more and more unabashed uh, uh, sort of pride in his learning, interestingly having awakened to enlightenment and as a manifestly perfect Buddha, the glorious Samantabhadra. So the Samantabhadra is the Dharmakaya Buddha, of which uh, Shakyamuni is the nirmanakaya, abides as the very adornment of Ghanavyuha. Ghanavyu is the name of our universe, the spontaneously present pure realm of the utterly lucid nature of phenomena, its true nature, in other words, and as the ruler of all mandalas in the ten directions and four times, of all mandalas, meaning of all world realms, all situations, For the benefit of all beings whose non recognition or ignorance of awareness blinds the Samantabhadra, with the supreme might of the immeasurable and manifold display of a Tathagata. Completely, perfectly in Buddha has caused the world to be eliminated in diverse ways. It's interesting, uh, this, this paragraph little presentation of the cosmology of the Dzogchenpo Buddhist system. The enlightened activities thus accomplished have ensured and continue to ensure that all beings are brought to one of the three degrees of enlightenment according to their individual destinies. Shravaka, Buddha or Buddha, among the countless beings in the ten directions, being the, the four cardinal, the four intermediate, and the zenith and the nadir, and the four times being the past, present, the future, and now. An inconceivable number beyond reckoning have become enlightened to an extent commensurate with those destinies. In keeping with their own aspirations, they have then turned the wheel of Dharma in all realms so that the teachings of a variety of spiritual approaches have appeared. This has continued throughout beginningless time. And then he quotes this Tantra uh Safa, the supreme web of magical display. The connection forced through supreme compassion teachings have appeared to be into the six classes, the six classes being the six realms, uh, from hell to the God realm, in all places and times throughout the inconceivable range of the ten directions four times. various subjects have been taught in order to guide beings, manifestations appear to everyone everywhere, meeting specific needs as higher or lower spiritual approaches ever, sorry, even as an inconceivable number of erroneous views, and as the assembly of peaceful and wrathful deities. So this idea that the Buddhas manifest and present the Dharma in innumerable ways, based upon the capabilities and and, uh, aspirations or needs of sentient beings, including erroneous ways, for those who are not ready to hear the Buddha's teaching. This means that in, in as many aeons, past, present, and future as there are atoms in the universe, that is exactly as many. And throughout the whole boundless space, emanations of Buddhas appear as peaceful and wrathful deities in the forms of various ordinary beings, Shravakas, particular Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, and even as such things as medicine, vaccines, gems, fine homes, renovated kitchens, and parks. Such a variegated array manifests through the blessings of supreme compassion and the flourishing of all that is positive in individual beings. From this comes the things that that beings desire in the moment and that satisfy their personal needs, such as food, drink, dwellings, clothing, and anything else they might require. All that is wished for comes as though from a wish-fulfilling gem. sort of uh, odd presentation of the, the, uh, the, the uh, activity of providing what beings need and uh, sort of interestingly uh, glossing over the zillions of beings that have none of these, but anyway. As for the manifestation of innumerable spiritual teachings it approaches according to beings' interests, the reign of teachings is supported by spiritual mentors, Buddhists, all sorts of beings, bodhisattvas, ordinary individuals. For others, teachings come from a lotus, a wish-granting tree, or the expanse of the sky. So teachings come in all different forms, not just books or from a, a teacher. Just as this takes place in our universe, so too that occur within worlds in all ten directions. In some realms, beings are guided entirely by the Mahayana, and others entirely by Hinayana, and others entirely by a mixture, and others entirely by an abundance of different approaches. Moreover, these approaches appear by the blessings of Vajra form, mind, qualities, and activity. I left speech, sorry. The five uh, aspects of Buddha manifestation by the power of consummate, skillful means, and sublime knowing, prajna, and and by the merit of individual beings, or, or in accordance with their merit. Just as, as explained in the Glorious Tantra of the Heart Essence, we read, such things as wish-granting trees, gems, and elements have no existence substantial. Their occurrence depends on the merit in one's own mind. Such superb phenomena, amazing and miraculous displays, do not come about as a result of anything other than sublime knowing, based on skillful means. It is within such a context that they occur. Thus, just as there is an immeasurable array of spiritual teachings, in all words, an immeasurable variety of teachings has appeared and become widely known in our universe during the excellent period, called the fortunate Aeon. So the the Buddhist cosmology so includes this uh, uh, detailed, intricate description of the physical universe, the, the attributes of uh, uh, physical manifestation as long as the time, as well as time periods. And they have this uh, idea of time being divided into really long periods and then that being divided up into uh, sort of medium-long and then small long periods, which include, you know, countless numbers of years, and uh, we're we're currently living in the time period called the Fortunate Aeon, which is uh, supposed to be uh, blessed with a thousand Buddhas, and Chakyamuni Buddha was the fourth Buddha of the Fortunate Aeon. uh, This universe called Difficult to Renounce... This, the, the interesting translation of it but uh, uh, often it's translated as difficult to endure that, that our world is is uh, burdened uh, a world this our version of samsara here is a world that's uh, has so much difficulty it lies within a greater universe called the basis whose center is a door with a flower. And it's made up of a billion world systems, each with four worlds, surrounding a central uh, mountain, Mount Meru and the four continents, each each world system. Beginning with the initial formation of the universe during this day and up to the present, the blessings of the transcendent, accomplished, conquer, glorious, samatha-bhajra, have caused the form of Vajradhara. Vajradhara in the Enigma tradition is, is sort of like... Uh, uh, it is basically the Sambhogakaya manifestation of Buddha whereas Samantha Bajra is the Dharmakaya and whereas in the Sarma or New Schools Vajradhara is the Dharmakaya. Anyway uh, have caused Vajradhara to emanate in the realm of Akanishad which is uh, uh, the place where future Buddhas hang out and to teach the secret mantra approach in the Madriyana I'm sorry, of the Mahayana vast Vajrayana to an immeasurable array of retinues that includes Vajrapani himself. So, I don't know, this arcane cosmology meant to sort of just uh, sort of explode your ideas of space and time primarily. And also uh, to point out the specialty of Vajrayana. It's said that Vajrayana is unique to this world system in this time period. It's because of Vajrapani and others in these retinues that the teachings appear in such domains as the gods, Nagas, and yakshas. The teachings are upheld by many Dakas, Dakini, Siddhas, masters of awareness, or Rigzins, who disseminate them in their respective domains, compiling them in volumes of scriptures, and they venerate them too. Of the thousand Buddhas who will have actually appeared in this Aeon, Vipassin taught Kriya Tantra and other Supreme Secret approaches. He taught a little bit of the Vajrayana, he's one of the prior Buddhas, Um, maybe the first or maybe the second, I can't remember. Shakyamuni spoke of these and one source mentions that the Buddha, Adi Mukta, who comes later on will speak of them also. In other words, out of a thousand Buddhas, only three Buddhas teach Vajrayana. Hmm. In case you were wondering, the secret mantra teachings of the Mahayana given by the succession of previous Buddhas were brought from the domain of God's, Nagas, Yakshas, and Gandharvas, by accomplished Dhakas and Dachanis with power of longevity, then upheld by Dhakas and Dachanis in our human world at Mount Malaya a volcano in the kingdom of Sahura, and so continue to exist. And, you know, there's a, uh, people familiar with a chant by Chum Brim Shikol, where it goes the glory, it's Mount Malaya. That's this place. As well, collections of tantrums that existed in regions like Odhiyama, Sri Lanka, and Shambhala. Shambhala. Well, golly revealed by such great masters as Nagarjuna, uh, Padmakara and Vimalamitra. These teachings became widespread in India and Tibet, and thus many Mahasiddhas appeared among the varieties of spiritual teachings that have appeared in these ways. I will present. So first, he presents. He gives this like vast uh, presentation of the range, realms, and, and scope of all the different possible teachings. Since from among all of that, I'm going to present a very precise, concise classification of those teachings that are currently well known in Tibet, with two major divisions: a classification of the general range of ordinary teachings, and a classification of the extraordinary teachings concerning the Vajra Essence of utter lucidity. The Dzogchen. So basically, there's everything else, and then there's Dzogchen. Those are the two divisions in his, in his mind of this book. The first division has two parts, a general discussion of the development of Buddhism and a detailed discussion of philosophical systems. So that encompasses uh, the whole, uh, basically chapters one through Six. first part consists in chapter one, uh, which concerns how the Buddha appeared as a teacher and in chapter two, the nature of the sacred dharma that he taught. And so that is our content for tonight. Comments, suggestions,
2: The nature of the mind was easier to follow. This is pretty intense. I'm going to have to go back and read it again.
0: <laughs> it's just the introduction. That's okay. just, of oh, the introduction, he just presents this like very cosmic thing. You know, and then if you if you look at the next page on page seven, you know, it's, it's very down to earth. I think, I think it's much more. Uh, and it gives this amazing presentation of the Buddha from these different traditions, this sort of hermeneutics or interpretive scheme where uh, you have uh, the tradition commenting upon itself and its own uh, different varieties of presentations. And uh, there's, that that I know of, there's three texts that do this. And they all come from the same time period. There's, there's this text by Longchenpa, and there's a text by Bhutan, who's famous Sakya Lama, same time period, who writes a very famous book called The History of, uh, of Buddhism in India. And he presents this idea of looking at the, who was the Buddha from different points of view. And then there was uh, a Galuppa gentleman named Kedrup who writes the fundamentals of the Tantric, Buddhist Tantric systems, and he does the same thing. They all like have this very uh, similar scheme of looking at the Buddha and his teachings from the, the common approach or the Himyana approach, the Mahayana approach, the Vajrayana approach. Some of them have different divisions. The regular Vajrayana approach or the Zopa chenpo Vajrayana approach and so forth. And, uh, and then you get to see where they land they generally then say, and my, of these, my favorite one is door number so and so. Yeah, I remember
2: mePOM did that as well. Yeah, in, in, in which Kinda of, and at the end he said, and my favorite is right, right. reading me stuff.
0: Yeah. That's okay. right. He would give you these different versions and he would say, and this is the right one. <laughs> of all these different views, this is the correct one. They refute all the other ones and say this this one is correct and why. At least they do that. But
1: that's only for Nyingma people, right? Because you know the way I'm taught is there's it's not like one is more right than the other, right? It's just part of the natural progression.
0: Well, the the they generally each have their own you know uh, point of view of what's at the top of the progression.
1: Oh, the top. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Okay. And yeah. my view is that the my version. Is at the top of the progression,
1: right?
0: Tolkachev was sort of uh, uh, controversial. She talks uh, about in the in the introduction in the translator's preface. Let's go back to uh, uh, Roman numeral seventeen. First, he talks about how difficult it is to deal with all the different quotes, and we saw this in the in Finding Rest in the Nature of the Mind, where the, the translators talk about this at long time, but just quotes endlessly from other sources without telling you what source, and it's very high, hard to trace them down, and then he, that's the first full paragraph, and then he says in the second paragraph, Certain passages that Longchenpa quotes differ from those in texts that are currently in common use. This is a sort of arcane but interesting uh, point. It was only during Longchenpa's lifetime that Bhutan, who I just mentioned, wrote the history of Buddhism in India, Rinchen Drup, who passed away in the same year as Longchenpa, made a systematic effort to catalog the works that were to be condensed, sorry, considered authentic teachings of the Buddha, this established the so-called official edition of The Conjurer the Tibetan canon of uh, the Buddha's words so uh, when Buddhism comes into the Tibet first in the 8th century and then again the second the, the new traditions coming in in the 11th and, and 12th centuries thousands of Buddhist texts from India are brought in and translated literally thousands and um, Uh, Along with those, there were spurious texts, texts that were not considered to be authentic, of authentic Indian origin. They would find texts that had been created in other countries and uh, sort of knockoffs and things like that. Uh, And there was this process of... uh, teachers disagreeing on which ones were not authentic and which ones were authentic. And uh, um, and then in addition, uh, looking at the traditions of Buddhism that were active at that time, like in, in terms of Longchenpa and Bhutan in the uh, 1300s, we had lots of different Buddhist traditions and seeing which ones were authentic based upon what were their source texts, and did their source texts have Indian counterparts? <clears throat> if you couldn't produce a source text and sent from Sanskrit or some other Indian-based language, your tradition was viewed as not authentic. And uh, what happened is that uh, the, the text that the Nyingmas considered to be their canon, their authentic body of literature because it came into the country in the 8th century. So, so many years later, uh, earlier than when this process of uh, categorization happened. So, 600 years later, uh, many of the source texts disappeared and they only had these translations. And uh, so, there was this big controversy about the enigma scriptures, were they authentic Buddhist scriptures or had they been created by Tibetans, God forbid. And uh, so he says here, uh, uh, this gentleman named Buton, who was a great scholar and spent a lot of his life gathering different texts and, and uh, going through this process of deciding which texts were authentic and which weren't. And then also which translations were the best among the, the texts that had come into the country. Many of them were translated uh, numerous times by different translators. And so there was this process of trying to figure out, instead instead of like creating a a body of uh, the Buddhist, uh, uh, the books of the Buddhists or the canon that included multiple translations of the same text, they wanted there to be one translation. So he had to pick one translation and there were a lot of differences in the, in the translations because sometimes the translators had slants about what they were translating and and would not uh would translate things differently than other translators so he did Bhutan in, in creating the canon of the buddhist teachings and the uh he doesn't mention uh this here but he also created a collection of the commentaries to the buddhist teachings are these two sets of literature in in Tibetan Buddhism that are revered as being the uh, inheritance from India called the khanjur. And uh, the khanjur is the collection of texts uh, um, attributed to the Buddha. That includes sutras and tantras and vinya, uh, rules and so forth. And then the tenjur, which has the commentaries by the Indian Indian masters like Nagarsha and so forth and uh, so he on the one hand he does this massive job of creating like of creating this uh, uh, authoritative collection of these two bodies of literature for the first time there had been other minor collections done before him uh, that had been limited and had been confused in terms of which they included and which they didn't. He tried to create the most comprehensive and correct version. But, of course, in doing that, he he uh, had to pick one translation over another because he wanted only one. So there was uh disagreement that emerged over the versions that he picked. And then he excluded a huge body of literature of the Nyingma's of their early tantras, tantras being texts attributed to the Buddha. So, the uh, the the Nyingma's so-called scriptures consist of this large number of tantras that uh, present the Nyingma's of uh teachings. And so, this gentleman Butung, uh because they couldn 't pres- like, the Nyingmas couldn't show uh, authentic Indian sources for these texts from an Indian language he excluded the whole body of them and created this this really big rift between the so called Sarma schools and the Nigma schools and uh, so the, the translator says here, uh, doing so Bhutan chose certain translations of India sources over others and even excluded entire groups of texts in particular, he emitted all of the Nyingma tantras none of which were included in the culture until the Dege so Dege was a, a town in eastern Tibet where they had a huge printing press uh, was prepared under the uh, more tolerant or eclectic uh, direction of the Kagyu master, Situ Panchen Chukijungne, one of the Situ's, who was uh, of the Rimei tradition in, in terms of like including all the different traditions equally. And he didn't go along with this exclusion of the Nyingma Tantras called the Nyingma Gyubum. Gyubum being the, meaning this, the thousand thousandfold collection of Nyingma Tantras. Um, so he prints uh, a conjure and a tenure that includes them for the first time, a sort of revolutionary act, which ended up incurring a lot of uh, wrath from the ruling Galuppa school. Anyway, thus it is possible that many of the sources cited by Longchenpo were never included in the official canon and are therefore no longer available. So, you know, what happens is uh, this unfortunate thing in the history of literature where you pick, you know, the ten, top ten best books. And lo and behold, numbers eleven through forty disappear because they 're not printed anymore they 're not read they're not they 're not printed anymore and so what comes down like from greece and, and and Rome and egypt very small number of books that were considered the best and if you weren 't in that list, then the likelihood of your book surviving is is limited so by excluding these texts from that collection, or these translations, they, they, a lot of them disappeared. Um, and so he's in, in the 1300s, as Bhutan at a different part of the country is creating this this authoritative collection. Longchenpa is using editions and translations that many of which Bhutan ends up excluding. So. Anyway, that's his uh, somewhat of an excuse for not being able to find citations. Um, language is complicated in, the, in that uh, chapter where he goes through the different tenets and. Uh, during that part of the, of the course, when we go into that section of the book, I'll circulate uh, a very short, concise, little sections of a very short, concise Lugba version of the tenet Systems. So if, uh, if you have more reading capacity, you can compare them, uh, which would be quite interesting if we can do it by this book called Buddhist Philosophy. Really very excellent, helpful book. That's a presentation of the tenants from the Galupa point of view. It's, it's very interesting to see the difference in the presentation. And it's also concise and very clear, very well translated as well. So anyway, that's the, the gist of it for tonight, which is just a general introduction and get us all on the same page and get us all uh, comfortable with each other. So, any other comments or, Mayor Beth, questions or whatever?
1: It's a question. The conjure and the tender.
0: Yeah. So you see the word conjure. Typed out here, right? K A N G Y U R. So the tenger is uh, T E N and then the same G Y U R.
1: So did I understand you correctly that the conjure is sort of like the Tibetan.
0: Um, polycannon?
1: It's the. Okay, so it's the conjure is the Tibetan polycanon?
0: Well, are you, are you familiar with the Pali Canon?
1: Well, yes, I think a little bit. I mean, those that's believed to be the words of the Buddha.
0: Right. And it has it happened the
1: Theravada tradition or the Pratyeka and Shravaka tradition. Right.
0: And so, uh, do you know the technical term for the Pali Canon in Pali? Tripitaka. Does that sound familiar? Yes. So, Tripitaka is a Pali word that uh, means three baskets. Tree is three, and Pitaka is a basket. And so, the Pali Canon is a, is a collection that's arranged in three baskets, one each for Vinaya, Sutra, and Abhidharma. And so, on uh, the Vinaya, you have just a collection of rules and commentaries on the rules, like how they apply, they don't apply, and so forth, and when they were developed. And then the Abhidharma is basically like lists, and sort of definitions of the elements in those lists as Abhidharma is. And then the sutras uh, is where, is the dis- so-called discourses where, <clears throat> which is what's more commonly read where the Buddha meets so-and-so and talks about meditation or wisdom or discipline, you know, things like that. And, uh, uh, what what happens in, uh, later in, in the development of Buddhism in India is that the sutra sex, section takes off in the Mahayana uh, period in Indian Buddhism, starting around the Common Era. Just hundreds and eventually thousands, literally thousands of new sutras appear and are, are, are generally much longer than the Pali sutras and are also much more fantastical. Huge lists of... Uh, the, the audience of bodhisattvas and huge miraculous displays and um, and a very profound uh, presentations of uh, wisdom and and uh, practice and uh, then then you have the tantras appear <clears throat> so the the mahayana sutras are attributed to the Buddha and then all these tantras appear and they're attributed to the Buddha and but usually in his form as uh, the, as Vajradhara, as some sort of uh, other uh, Dharmakaya or Samogakaya Buddha. And all of those are collected, received from India to Tibet, the Mahayana sutras and the tantras, whereas a very small amount actually of, the, of what's called, of what is in the Pali sutras makes it to Tibet. And uh, all, only a little bit of the Abhidharma and uh, the core of the, but most of the Vinaya makes it to Tibet because the Vinaya is just so crucial and critical for uh, the monastic system. And uh, and so in Tibet, they, they uh, collect all of that together and call it the conjure. That's the conjure. It's the collection of teachings attributed to the Buddha. And we'll see in the next chapter or two, chapter two, I think, Uh, where he talks about this term Buddha word, which is like in the Christian tradition, you know, like the word of God, like the Bible, like it's in the Bible, sacred scripture, the Bible, um, the Old Testament, in some sense, is like the words of God, right? It's like sacred language, and so there's a somewhat similar concept in Buddhism that there's this idea of, well, it's Buddha word, the Buddha spoken, and somehow you either have to accept it as, uh, you have to accept it as true in in some sense, and then they, as you know, we've talked about the different senses that you can accept things as being true. You can take them literally true, or you can take them as being, as having an implied meaning based on the circumstance. But their Buddha word you have to accept that they have that weight as being the word of the Buddha. And so that included all the Mahayana sutras and all the Vajrayana Tantras, as well as a uh, small amount of the Pali Canon, Pali sutras. And then there was a huge number of texts written by the Garjanara you know, the six ornaments that we've been through, plus, you know, another probably 94 teachers, you know, there's probably like 100 or 108 authors in this collection of what's called shastras or commentaries on the sutras that's in Tibetan called the tengyur, T-E-N-G-Y-U-R. So the word jur has this connotation of a collection of a coming together, compiling. And so if you ever go to a Tibetan monastery, a traditional Tibetan monastery, they will have uh, a a copy of these two collections. And The Conjurer is usually in approximately 100 Tibetan volumes. And they're traditional Pecha format, long, long, unbound books that have a hard bottom and top, but they're wrapped in cloth, so they don't look like that. They just look like these sort of rectangular blocks of cloth. And they show you the ends, and the ends, they have the title. They have a little flap a brocade, and you pick up the brocade, and under that is the title in Tibetan, and the, the it's the section number. It says Ka, and then it gives you the number or the lettering system that they use to identify the volume. And then they'll, ha- and they'll have these in this big uh, cabinets where they have like uh, little cubby holes for each of the texts, and then the glass cabinet over it usually, and then the other side they'll have the tanger. And the tender is usually somewhere around 250 volumes or 300, so and each each volume is like uh, three to 400 pages, physical pages that each has two sides, so you have about 600 or so what's called folios per volume, and that's what makes up the collection of books from India, and that's the revered library in the Tibetan world the conjure and the tanger and then he'll go through the the teachings of the Buddha and how they're classified I think he does a little bit it's a little bit. Bhutan goes like has like a hundred pages on the the whole, all the writings. Sort of fascinating if that's your thing. Anything else?
1: Thank you. <laughs> Thank you.
0: So uh, I have to remember. I'll let to circulate our little chants that we do, which I forgot to do. And uh, so w- why don't we do that? To end with, we'll do the opening chant and then the closing chant together. How's that? I think most of us know it by heart, and I'll circulate it for everyone else. In order that all sentient beings may attain Buddhahood from my heart, I take refuge in the three jewels. In order that all sentient beings may attain Buddhahood from my heart, I take refuge in the three jewels. In order that all sentient beings may attain Buddhahood from my heart, I take refuge in the three jewels. Whatever the virtues and many fields of beings, all our steps in the path to omniscience may these arise in a clear mirror of intellect. Oh my God, we please accomplish this. And then join me for the dedication of merit. By this merit, may, may I obtain them nations, may defeat the enemy wrongdoing from the stormy waves, the birth of all age sickness, and death of the ocean of samsara. may I free all beings, and by the confidence of the golden sun of the greatest, may the lotus garden regions with some blue, and may the dark beings be the spell, may all beings enjoy profound, brilliant glory. Thank you. Thank you all for joining this. I also forgot to say how exciting this is to dive into this this book. So uh, I know tonight was a little boring and flat, but it will be, uh, I promise it will be quite interesting. So anyway, nice to see you all and have a great week. And
2: Thank you, Derek. Thanks, yes. Derek. Thank you. Good night.
0: Good night.
2: Good night. Good night. Good night. Thank you, Derek.
0: Thank you. See
1: you tomorrow night.
0: I'm the boss. Yeah, see you tomorrow night. Great.
1: Is there a link for that I, that I will get sent, or is there a way to, for the? Uh,
0: I, I didn't send it to you. My apologies. Okay. Have you found our new website, Westchester yeah. Meditation Center? Yeah. So on there, there. The uh, link is on there. Yeah, there's a there's a page that says how to join by Zoom.
1: Oh, okay
0: and uh, you enter in your name and your email address and then press, click on this thing at the bottom that says enter here.
1: Okay, I did that. Oh, and so do that again and then click on the link when it's time to do it. Yeah. Okay.
0: I don't know if there's a way, Emily, we gotta figure out if there's a way to avoid having to enter your data each time.
1: For the WMC link?
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: Channels?
0: I wonder I if enter it and just click. We'll find out. We'll yeah, find-
2: maybe. Yeah.
0: Her connection. I mean, it's a little uh,
2: unstable. <laughs> yeah, sorry. No, if I know how to do, I, I didn't realize. I thought I needed to get sent
1: something once I entered the email or something, but no, just go. No, back. it should reveal. The password right away uh,
2: when you put your email in. That's what happens when I do it. Okay. Um, but yeah,
0: yeah. Well, we've got. Um, yeah. We're trying to get people in the habit of going to that website and, and doing it that way instead of us sending a link. Because what's happened in the past is that we've ended up having to change the link. Either we got bombed or Zoom changed their scheme. Right. right. And then, like, all these people that had the old link didn't get the new one. And, you know, so if you always go to this web page, that web page will have the links. Whereas in Reemay Shader, I just send out.
2: Right. Okay. Okay. It's
0: less less likely to get tampered with. All
2: right.
0: Because Emily is very (laughs) secure and safe. Yes.
2: Yes. Thanks, Emily.
1: Thanks. All right. Okay. Okay. See you guys. Have a great uh couple of days and week.